2: A one, two, three, four.
1: Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. From Diddy TV, this is Insights, where today Amy Wright chats with brothers Michael and Kevin Bacon, a.k.a. the Bacon Brothers, all about their brand new five-song EP, Errado. As multifaceted artists with a ton of creativity in their DNA, Michael and Kevin have been actively creating music together, well, since they were just kids. They call the genre-bending sound they make Foro Soko, a blend of folk, rock, soul, and country influences. And that makes sense considering it's the continuation of sounds heard long ago in Philadelphia, where the two siblings were raised on a soundtrack of 1970 singer-songwriters, Philly soul singers, and classic rock bands. We're a songwriting band, and the songs lead the way, Kevin explains. We're not beholden to a specific sound. We just write the songs and let them point us in the right direction. That's how we've done it since the very beginning. And speaking of beginnings, let's get this show on the road. Here's Amy Wright with the Bacon Brothers, right here on Insights.
0: We're going to talk a little bit about just some stuff, and then we'll get into the, the latest album, Arado. So that'll be really, uh, really a good one. I actually. Um, I was really very interested in, in the song that you guys wrote. I'm going to actually dig into it a little bit in memory of when I cared, and uh, <laughs> and you had some co-writers and some some interesting things going on there. So we'll get to that too. But great. But uh, so what were we, what were you guys doing during COVID?
2: Well, uh, let's see. I was right in March of 2020. Um, we were actually in the studio. And it was uh, two two albums ago. We were we were um, finishing up tracking on the day when we felt the world shut down. Basically, um, I remember us going, "Oh, I don't know, are we hugging masks? What is the deal here?" It was all kind of new, and uh, um, I they shot my. I was shooting um, the second season, I guess third season i guess it was the third season second season of sitting on a hill and uh they shut us down so i went out to la because my wife and my son and daughter were out there and we went into lockdown for about three months i guess uh with just the three of us as it turned out which was unusual because we had to lived with my son since he was about i don't know 17 and, right yeah and, and he was he had moved to la and was looking for a place to live and so he was staying with us for the time being and and we all you know had about three months together very close quarters
0: hopefully that was fun
2: <laughs> it was it was okay yeah. Yeah, no it was good um and you know you uh, kira and i have been married a long time so as as michael and betsy um and you know we spend a lot of time together but we also because of the nature of our our uh, gigs spent a lot of time apart we spent a lot of time on the road and hotels and different you know jobs and stuff like that so this is the most in our 30 years of marriage that we've ever been you know in one space at the time so that's a that's an interesting you know uh sort of uh new piece of the puzzle to see how you how you get along with your spouse when you're really in very very close quarters and it was it was good, in fact, I think that it's funny, I think we've come out, uh, you know, or at least sort of come out of the other side of it, needing to spend even more time together in a weird sort of way.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, Ronnie and I were were sort of just the two of us locked down for quite a while, and uh, um, what came out of that, yeah, it was that before that I was the one traveling more, mm-hmm. and um, and you really, it was really like a silver lining. We would now really enjoy um, not only being together, but I really don't want to travel as much um, right. once, sure. once that we've sort of uh, gotten past that. How about you, Michael?
3: Well, I was very lucky actually that we were lucky. First of all, Betsy and I have worked together forever. She manages the, my film scoring business. And so we're kind of together all the time and six months before covid hit we decided we have this house in pennsylvania rural pennsylvania and we decided let's sublet our apartment um and try living down there for a year to see what it's like uh but i was teaching in three days a week in new york so um six months before covid then covid hits we were already in in our house i went from teaching in person to teaching online um and we kind of went through it without any problems at all. I mean, nothing really changed for us. And what's happened since, um, you know, in the, in the film scoring business is people don't really get together with you personally anymore. There's really, I mean, I think there's a reason to, but a lot of clients don't want to go to the, go to my office and sit down with me and look at the film. They just, you do it, you know, file sharing, that sort of thing. So I would say overall, uh, I be, I came through completely unscathed,
0: well, you know, it requires people to get out of their pajamas now <laughs> to come <laughs> yeah. come see yeah. you in person. I, I think there's right. a lot of Zoom calls going on, and I've noticed yeah. that now people t- turn their camera off, you know, <laughs> so who knows what they're wearing. Um, you know, we had a great night with you guys when you were in Memphis a few years ago, and you had the Thomas family uh, yeah. in, <laughs> and um, uh, it was just a lot of fun, and, and it was just a great show. and we have a great memory of that and spending some time on the roof and and um so much fun
3: yeah it was um, a very good memory
0: so how did how did the whole idea for the bacon brothers come about because you have a family of, of six kids right so um how, how did that whole idea materialize
2: well my brother uh is nine years older and was already, you know, fully ensconced in music, um, as I remember. I mean, he started playing as a tiny little boy and really was very, very serious about it. You know, he was also playing in orchestras and, and studying, um, you know, classical cello. And, and, uh, and I would hear him playing in bands with um, my sister or one of our sisters. Were, uh, I'm the youngest of six. And and of course, you know, you hear your brother doing something, you want to do it, you know. And so I started thinking that I could write songs and started singing those songs uh, to him. And then he would figure out how to play them. And then eventually we started writing songs together. Uh, We never really wrote it. We never really wrote songs with the idea that we were going to form a brother's band. It was more that we were going to. Be able to tap into something as songwriters and you know pitch. Um, Michael had been living down in um, Nashville for a long time, working as a staff songwriter, and so, so I think f- me from hearing his stories about it, you know, had this idea that we could write a hit song and give it to somebody to record it. But in order to do that, we would get together, we'd write, we'd do demos and a friend of ours from philadelphia where we grew up heard the demo and said you know uh, why don't you guys be the bacon brothers and play a show and so that's what we did and michael was uh, you know i didn't know anything about playing live i didn't know anything about putting a band together or being in the recording studio i mean i was really a complete neophyte but my brother knew a lot about it and he found a couple of guys to to work with and uh we kind of cobbled a, a set list together and, and played one show, and one show turned into two, it turned into three, and and it just kept kind of rolling along. We got a record deal, we, but most importantly, we kept writing, and that's why this five song um, uh, EP, um, Errato, you know, it's just just new songs that we've written. You know, that, that's that's what really kind of keeps it keeps it rolling.
0: Well, and Michael, you're a composer. Obviously, outside of of working with um, with Kevin on the Bacon Brothers, you actually are a composer. You've written a lot of uh, TV and movie soundtracks and songs. I mean, what is that process like when you uh, when you're writing for something in particular?
3: Well, it's I I can't think of two things that on the surface appear to be similar, which would be songwriting and film scoring. Uh, is so completely different uh, first of all, the film scoring part is is client driven and when I talk to my students about film scoring, I always tell them that it's it 's a craft, not an art you 're not there to do art you 're there to support a production, which is a film or a television show, which hopefully is art, but you 're not there to create your own art and it's it 's definitely not a uh, something for everybody um, Songwriting is um, not time-driven, or at least the way Kevin and I generally write write songs, even though I was a staff songwriter where you did have a certain amount of pressure to come up with songs, but uh, I don't really do that anymore. So um, for better or for worse, the songwriting process that both my brother and I go through is you sort of think about what's going on in your life, think about what's important, and... You start to kind of throw rhymes around, ideas around, titles around. And you hope that at the point where you are peaceful and unfettered, that that song kind of emerges and you have a guitar next to you and time to work on it. Um, So I'm on my way up to the Adirondack Mountains where... There's no electricity and obviously no television and generally the phone, phone doesn't work. Um, and though that's the kind of thing where I'm much more receptive to whatever these mysterious moves that allow you to come up with the song. I mean, that being said, you know, I'll be there for five days. Maybe I won't come up with a song, but it's um, in my life being so busy, it's, it's difficult to find peaceful moments to respond to whatever that, that, um, that muse which is out there, I mean, look. you know, we, we've we been doing this. I've been writing songs for um, probably f- close to 60 years, and I've always been able to keep doing it. So I guess um, you have to sort of trust that, you know, there'll be another one after this one. Yeah,
0: it seems like we all need a little space in our life to be creative. It's really hard when we're super busy. Yeah. Um, so it's, that sounds like the perfect spot for that. And I know you guys both love American roots music. Where did that love for American roots music come, come from?
2: Well, you, I mean, you should take that one, Mike, because you were really the roots—the rootiest of the rootsy guys.
3: <laughs> well, it's, it's it's been interesting becoming, you know, now that I'm a college professor and um, ostensibly I have a course in history of film music for non-music people, but it's really me teaching people my take on music. So um, I spent a lot of time not only thinking about um, how we went from field hollers and shouts in the slavery deep South to 12 Bar Blues, moving over to New Orleans, intermingling with French Creole culture and creating jazz, and then going up to Memphis and... and, uh, running headlong into the Scotch-English-Irish uh, verse-chorus and blues not being verse-chorus, you, you that's the roots of rock and roll. So, um, the In terms of my personal experience, when I was um, growing up, there was a thing called the Philadelphia Folk Festival, and I went religiously every year to that, and that was all roots music. And I heard the best of the best, Mississippi John Hurt, Phil Oaks, Bob Dylan, Tootie Collins, all these people. So um, my pretty much my concept of music was always a guitar and a vocal and nothing much more than that. So when I started to become a professional musician, I moved into more kind of rock and roll, um, kind of folk rock kind of sound. Um, but Roots music are, is, and also the songs that we would sing at camp, and I know it sounds really corny, but um, my sister, our sister was a really great guitar player, and we would sing songs around the campfire, and uh, those are things that are mean a lot to me still.
0: Yeah, there's nothing better than just having a guitar and vocals. I mean, that's, and go, you can go anywhere, you can be a troubadour anywhere
2: right. with right. a
0: guitar and, and some vocals. Did you guys ever go to uh, the Newport Folk Festival?
2: No, it's so funny that you bring that up because um, it's uh, this this woman that I know has been saying to me recently, I don't know why you guys haven't done Newport, you know. Uh, it's, w- w- I'm going to talk to them anyway, so maybe someday.
0: Yeah, no, it just seems like it'd be right up your alley. Um, I interviewed Lester Chambers uh, not too long ago, and um, he was talking about his experience back in the 60s. Going to and playing the Newport Folk Festival. And he happened to be there when Bob Dylan went electric. It just has such a history. <laughs> uh, I know. Well, I, that's what I said. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when that happened. Um, so you guys actually ter- coined the term for a Soko to describe your music. And what is that exactly?
2: <laughs> well, it, it stands for folk rock soul country. Um, and, you know, that's what happens when you put put a band together. It still happens. People say, "What, what do you play?" Uh, and kind of, I just was thinking about it. Uh, well, we play some folky stuff. We play some rock stuff. We definitely have a lot of soul influences. And every once in a while, there's something that feels a little country. Um, you know, I I grew up uh, with the music that my brother played and, and my sister played also the music that they were bringing home at at the time and i was exposed to music very you know early um so that the british invasion is something that even even that i remember you know even though i was born at 58 still that still was important and being in philadelphia and all those all that uh, great soul music coming out of philly and then you know my you know it's sometimes my obsession with motown and with funk and 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 then very, very late in life, I kind of discovered country. I think it was really a function of being in a town, and that's the only, on shooting a movie, and that's the only thing that was on the radio. Um, and so, you know, those sort of influences just make up Foro Soko, and it's still to a certain extent what we what we play.
0: You know, it's funny because growing up, I felt like everything was just rock. When I listened to radio and I grew up in Memphis, but I realized later that there was a little bit of soul and there was a little bit of what people would call classic rock and there was a little bit of country rock. And, and so all those influences were there, but they just had one name for it. It was just rock music. And it is kind of funny now that, uh, that we um, define the genres a little more carefully these days, I think, um, yeah, so I'm I like. Uh, I
2: think it's kind of silly myself. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I think my brother and I both agree that we, to us, it's always less important. The genre is less important than than the song. If it's a great yeah. song, you know, that's what that's what we want to hear. You know,
0: agreed, agreed. You know, it's just that's all it is. And um, it's funny because I talk to artists a lot, and uh, they actually don't like to be labeled. So. It's funny that the industry does that a little bit more, but um, I think when you're an artist, you have a journey, and whatever that journey, wherever that journey takes you, you should be able to go. It's like Bob Dylan. You know, he started in folk and he ended up in rock and 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 whatever else he wanted to do. But uh, you know, defining it almost takes away from the creative aspect of it. It seems.
3: You know, it's interesting. We're talking about Nashville and Memphis, but. Um I lived in Nashville from 72 to about 1980 and Nashville at that time was a songwriter's town. It was all guitars and vocals, guitars and vocals. But if we wanted to really rock out, we would go to Memphis, which was a total rock and roll town. And there was this group called Larry Raspberry and the High steppers that I absolutely idolized. They were absolutely amazing. And um, Larry would wear short shorts. And this is in the seventies. The <laughs> of course. Out, yeah. And, um, Memphis was always this very exciting big town, much more like Philadelphia than, and Nashville was kind of a sleepy little country town. Um, and so close to each other were three hours drive and they, they were just complete. And I think it has a lot to do with the Mississippi River and the, you know, the migration up from the South through Memphis and then up into the North, whereas Nashville really didn't ever have that exactly.
0: No, they didn't really have, it's a different mix. And New Orleans, Memphis, St. Louis, Chicago, yeah, They're kind exactly. of more aligned, I mm-hmm. think, mus- musically than, than Nashville, which is only three hours away. But right. um, you, you, we call it the three states of Tennessee because you had kind of rock and soul and blues in one corner and country in the middle and bluegrass mm-hmm. on right. the other <laughs> side of the state. So there was a really strong tradition there, but it was very, very different.
3: Yeah, example so certainly was East Tennessee, that's for sure.
2: You know, music history is so interesting, I'm st- and I'm, I'm always learning more stuff about it. And one thing that I, that I learned was that um, there was a time when what was considered Western music and country music really sounded very, very different, and they were two completely different genres. They were as different as folk and pop. But um, Billboard decided that they didn't want to give them both their own chart. And mm. So they call the country western, and they lo- lumped them together, and it's it's just those types of things. I mean, you were talking about this this you know desire to separate things into genres, which is is it, it generally, I think, is is probably you know uh, business driven in some kind of way, as most most things are, you know, and and uh, it's, it's it really is fascinating, and I. It's always um, I don't know. Like I said, I, I I'd rather listen to all kinds of stuff. I think yeah, rhythm Ron- and blues
3: is the same thing. I mean, what Cecilia's name? What does that mean? Rhythm and blues, but you know, lump it into one thing so you don't have to have too many charts.
0: Very true. Well, we we um, Ronnie's from California, actually. So we talk about the difference between California country, Texas country, and say mm-hmm. Southern country. And it, they, all of them were very different, but they, they were all under one umbrella, mm-hmm. but very, very different styles of music. Like if you go to Texas, it's a, it's, its own world, you know? Same with California, really. Very different you know, style of, uh, of music. Um, so uh, what would you say is the, your favorite part of being able to work together? Because I know you each have your own careers, but what is the favorite part about just working together on, this, on the Bacon Brothers?
3: Well, there's a lot of things. Um, I'm somebody that I don't want to get too philosophical. I feel like I was put on this earth to do music, and I'm just going to do that as long as I can. And if I can find someone to join me in that journey, I'm very happy to do that. You know, I love working with bands and, you know, our band and developing harmonies and um, helping my brother get his songs together. And he's helping me get, get my songs together and, uh, trying to put together a show that warrants the amount of money that people have to pay to, you know, come see us. Uh, we, we really value uh, or we feel a, a, a responsibility to come up with, you know, we're entertainers, let's face it. That's what we do. And um, we try to make the show fun and uh, as, as much variety as possible and offer every possible thing that we can do within the realm of music. Um, the other thing is, you know, it's a business as well. Um, you know, we have a lot of people that come out on the road with us and, um, well, as possible, (laughs) but they, it's a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a business and we're, we could be, we could own a dry cleaning store and a lot of the same dynamics would exist. And, uh, we have to deal with that. It causes us to do a lot of talking, a lot of thinking about the goals and, um, and, uh, ways that we want to see the band go um, and also there's a lot of trust because if you're in a business with a, a relative, you know, a brother, sister, um, there's just some ingrained trust. That it's not necessarily going to be there if you didn't know them. And I know there's a lot of talk about battling brother bands uh, and I don't, I don't see <laughs> it. I just don't see it. I know they, they're there, um, but it doesn't really exist for us. But it could happen anytime, you never know.
0: <laughs> how about you, Kevin?
2: Uh, it, it was such a long answer that I forgot what the question was.
0: Uh, yeah, well.
2: <laughs> uh, well, you
0: know what? I'll, I'll, I'll give you a different question then. So your question is, after you guys started the band, uh, what was really, what were some of the challenges you faced? Because everyone starts a band and um, they don't realize how hard it is. I mean, it is really hard to keep everyone on track, write good music um you got to get ready for the road performance has to be there there's more to it than just hey let's start a band so what were some of the challenges that you guys kind of faced
2: well you know for me uh i was (laughs) well in my 30s uh I, i it was all new for me um sound check uh you know plugging guitars and practicing uh you know, harmony, singing on a microphone, then later on being in the studio. The whole, this was all completely new. My brother really was, uh, he, he had years and years and years of experience with, with this, both with touring and with the studio and with band dynamics and everything. that he was right in his wheelhouse. So I really had to look to him to figure it out. And, and, and he did because we were, we were not someone that w- we weren't floated in any kind of way when we first started it wasn't like a vanity project where i was saying i'm going to take a couple of years off and play rock and roll and i'm going to pay for the whole thing get us a bus and do all that kind of stuff we 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 you know would show up would drive in mike's car and, and we'd plug our gear in and and you know it was all he was figuring out how to talk to the promoters and to how to get get as a rider and you know this was all new to us you know it's gotten um, easier in that we have more of an infrastructure but also uh, we know what well, I know you know how to do it now you know I'm very comfortable um, on stage I'm comfortable in the studio I'm comfortable with you know soundtracks and all that kind of stuff but yeah Those are the challenges. And I think that one of the biggest challenges, although, you know, um, something that we always knew was going to be the case, was that nobody is showing up knowing the music. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of still the case. Not always. It gets a little easier now because we do repeat performances and we've been there, been out there enough that, that there's going to be a percentage of the audience that actually knows our stuff that knows who we are, will we'll actually be singing your song. But, but that's a big difference than having a, a hit song. If you've got a hit song or a hit record, you're going out and you have this built-in sort of uh, affection for the music already, and it makes your job much, much easier, I, I would think. Um, for us, the challenge is to say, okay, here we are. We're not a cover band. Um, yes, you've seen my movies. Uh, we're not gonna do scenes from my movies. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna dance for you. You know what I mean. We're going to. Right. We're gonna. Um, we're gonna <laughs> sing songs that that we wrote and show you what we want to say musically. Are you good with it, or are you gonna go along for the ride for an hour and a half? And and that's a that's a that's a that's a heavy ask for an mm-hmm. audience. But we understand that and we do our best to put on a good show and to uh, take people on this um, on this walk with us.
0: Well, you know, uh, so Diddy TV, we we focus on all kinds of music and and we really provide a platform I think that's broader than say corporate radio is these days. So what would your thoughts be on, on sort of corporate radio and, and how they can really dictate whether those songs get out there? Because I, I think that a lot of times you know, people's familiarity with anyone's music has to do with how many times they've heard it. So, you know, there's a lot that, that goes into marketing a band and getting your music out there, but the, the biggest challenge is distribution, whether that's radio or some other form of a distribution, but um, people have to hear it in order to remember it, so to speak.
3: Yeah, I have a couple of things. It's a That's a really interesting topic. Um, When FM radio first came around in what, 70s, late 60s, um, the big thing in FM radio is the disc jockeys could actually play whatever they wanted to, as opposed to the top 40 format, which was, God knows how they came up with that. I mean, there's, there was a lot of stories about pay and all that sort of thing, but um, FM radio when it first started was totally open. And um, I think that's, Pretty much stopped, maybe except for some very special stations that still do that. Um, The uh, as far as I mean, I'd be happy to fit into corporate radio, but um, for guys our age and with careers outside of it, there's no way we could put in um, what would be demanded to, you know, have a big record company come and, and bankroll and 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 you know spend a lot of money getting the music out there so that's one thing um so that's not going to happen but i still believe in my heart that um if you have the right song and two people hear it they're going to tell two people and they're going to tell and all of a sudden it's going to and i've had um in my career i've had friends who were on the same labels that i i was and they put out a song and it exploded so um, I'm still. Uh, I always will be a believer that that it's what we just call in the grooves. And um, even though, if you looked at our situation, um, for what uh, what the possibilities are, I think a lot of people say there's there's no, you, you can't do that. It's not going to happen. And I don't believe that.
0: Well, I happen to love Tom Petty T-shirt from the last album. Was it last album? Or was it two out two ago? But. It was. Uh, it had such a. I guess two ago. It had, it had two ago. <laughs> I, so
2: I not lost track.
0: you lost track. Well, I, I I have that in my in my playlist, so I actually kind of sing to that one. So when I when I come see you guys next, I'm going to be singing that song. Good. Um, and we will, so, we will
2: play it. Yeah,
0: good. Um, well, let's talk about Arado because that's that's your latest EP album, and um, were you guys writing the songs during? the last couple of years or was that just you decided just recently to do the album and you went in and wrote five or six songs i mean how did that happen was it gradual uh, or
2: i feel like those all five of those songs sort of jumped out in about a probably what would you say 6 month period something like that mike they all they all were kind of quickly on the on the heels of each other and and that was for me I wrote a song called um, "Corona Tune" that happened pretty much right when we went into um, lockdown, and I hadn't written anything for about two years. And then, um, uh, you know, the, the you know Rotto and "Dark Chocolate Eyes" and, and "Karaoke Town" just kind of jumped jumped out, and we had written in memory "When I Care" with Desmond Child before uh that that was we wrote that before the pandemic i believe right yeah 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 we did we definitely did yeah um but we had just sort of been sitting on it we had a demo and and uh we we hadn't we hadn't cut it um and then um um let me happen to you girl was a, a, a piece of music that Michael had from a, a, a score. And uh, he, he was, he, well, you could tell, she, he, was, he, put, he put lyrics to it. Yeah, I'd never done that before. Um,
3: but, you know, it's, I have a few little tracks that I've done over the years that stand out to me as just being good song tracks. So I should probably go back and revisit some, them some more because it was a fairly easy process for me to do.
0: Well, you know, let's talk about, let's actually talk about, in memory of When I Cared, which you just mentioned was co-written with Desmond Child. Was it also Void Stryker? Was was he also involved? Yes. Um, So uh, Desmond Child is um, associated with some really iconic music. Um, And um, what was it like to co-write in general, but co-write with him specifically?
3: Well, for me, it was it was interesting because, as I said, I'm a film composer, which is very much client deadline time driven, where you're always behind and you're always um, pushing to get stuff done and approved. And um, whereas Desmond, his style is very, very relaxed. And we made two dates with him and the first date. We didn't do anything but talk and drink coffee and listen to music, which is just different for me because if you're going to spend three hours, I'm used to, create, you know, getting a whole bunch of stuff done, and then we didn't even really do anything till the next day, um, and Desmond had a bunch of tr- bunch of titles, which is very Tin Pan Alley style. So, I mean, that's when I was a staff writer in Nashville. That's how we would start too. We'd come up with a title, and see if we could flesh it in, flesh it out. And then um, he had Boyd's, I think, 10 tracks of that Boyd had done in California as just kind of suggestions of a groove and a, and a uh, musical ambience and uh, percussion. And we looked at the title, listened to the things that Boyd had done and picked one. And then that was our, we started building onto that. And then it, it, I didn't realize it was so long ago. My God, that's like, Two years ago or more, that nothing it just kind of sat there, and then uh, Kevin went in the studio and did some vocals, and it started to emerge. and Desmond liked it and uh, was um, encouraging, and and we went in with uh, Joe Niccolo, who's um, used to be the owner of Roughhouse Records, which has had you know the Fugees and Lauryn Hill, and very very successful guy from Philadelphia, and um, so he produced it and I think it came out really really well and it's it's a very different kind of sound. We've never really done anything like that exactly. Uh, it's, I would say, contemporary. And most of the time when I play it for people, that's the first thing they say is it sounds like it would fit into what's being played in the radio now.
0: Yeah, um, I would agree with that. When I was listening to the album, it kind of stood out from the from the sound, the way it was mixed, yeah, uh, the instrumentation. It had a very sort of modern radio sort of feel, yeah. um, that one. and uh, uh, so what's what? Tell me about Arado. What, what? How did y'all come up with the name Arado?
2: Um, I, I was um, very um, discouraged about songwriting and. Um, I, had, I was on location shooting a movie and, you know, I always keep a guitar and I didn't even have one. I didn't bring one, you know, and I I went and I bought this um, like $150 guitar at a little music store. And, and uh, it sat there for a little while. And then I heard something about somebody talking about the Greek goddess of... Uh, music and poetry and and eroticism and uh, and I th- and she was supposed to be a muse for those things, and so in a weird way, she kind of became that because I wrote the song about her and about being unable to write. Um, so it was indirectly she she kind of was a, a muse for the song. Um, and then I, you know, I, I demoed it and um, I sent it to Michael and, and he said, uh, I love it, but it needs auto harp. And uh, so he, he put auto harp on it, which is great. And, and he um, uh, went out and got a uh, electric auto harp. So we use auto harp in the show now. Something else to carry around with us. Narado is always pictured as playing a harp, so...
3: That's the first thing I thought of. That's true, yeah.
0: I think I played an auto harp, but I, I was really young. I think it was like 10 or 11 in music in elementary school. We yeah. we played the xylophone and the auto harp,
3: I think. Yeah, the auto harp is a great, and, and um, Maybell Carter was the one that really made it, uh, an instrument right. you could do you know, with folk music. And the great thing is, it's, it's really about pushing buttons. And once you push a button, you can't play a wrong note. You push the next one, and it's, Um, I think, I just love the instrument. I think it's a a fantastic uh, instrument. I love playing in the band.
0: Uh, You're inspiring me to get an auto harp because uh, Ronnie is guitar and drums and I'm violin and vocals, but we don't have an auto harp. And I think that would add something to our mix.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> so, absolutely.
0: So I think we're going to run out and get one. Um, well, so Michael, who did the- got,
2: Michael, Michael bought an auto harp, which, which is awesome. It sounds great. It's got pickup on it and uh, works really well live. And, and uh, they're, uh, they've probably come a long way.
3: Yeah, they have. It's the auto harp store. They've, that's all they have are auto harps. They have about 50 different ones and all the stuff. Anyway, mine is great because one of the problems with an auto harp it's the, kind of like tuning a piano. You have to get a, you know, a tuner, and this one has fine tuners on the other side of the string, so um, it makes it much much easier to get in tune. So when we're when we're about to go to sound check, I'm going to probably have to spend a half an hour, you know, tweaking the auto harp tuning, but uh, that's it's fine.
0: Well, you'll have to send me which one you picked, so that I don't have to go through the other fifty. Okay, I will. I will. Absolutely. <laughs> just, just send me the one that you think is great, and then I'll go and buy that one. Um, so, who did the, who did the album art? I thought it was great.
2: Uh, the, co- the, that's the cover of the, of uh, uh-huh. the, the art. Yeah, I drew that.
0: You drew that. I, I didn't even know that you, uh, you were an artist.
2: Uh, well, uh, you know, I don't know. That's, I think that's a stretch, but I do, but I, I do, I do like to draw. My brother draws great too. I mean, we, we kind of drew up, grew up drawing. The drawing was, it's funny because we don't even, I think all of my siblings pretty much like to draw. Uh, our parents were actually, our mom was a really good artist, but our dad also was an architect. So he was always had architectural drawings and he, he was able to draw beautiful little Um, Drawings would take uh, would make little books for his kids and stuff like that. And uh, uh, that was just something that we we always had around.
3: You know, our management said, you know, whenever the thing is with an EP is you have to do a lot of cover stuff to for each one of the songs. And um, our management said, do you have any ideas for Rato? And I I put one out there and I thought this is the dumbest idea I've ever seen. Let's have a rotto playing an auto harp play uh um plugged into a fender amp, sort of you know, accessing the ancient Greek civilization and, and contemporary. And I thought it was the stupidest idea I ever saw. And then Kevin did this wonderful <laughs> drawing. Um and I I love it. I think it's great.
0: Yeah, I thought it was great too. Um are you guys gonna tour for the for the album? Are you gonna hit the road?
2: We do. Yeah, we we actually have we were out. Um for uh we uh we got cut short um for reasons that uh, are you can guess um and uh and now we're getting ready to i guess in in june we're starting to um you know put some more dates together so the answer is yes yeah we do have we have um you know, right, right now, obviously things are constantly changing. Right now, we got some some New York stuff, sort of East Coast based stuff. We're gonna have a a, a Nashville run. We got a, a California run. We got a Texas run. Yeah.
0: So, what is your favorite part about touring, in general?
2: Well, not the hotels, <laughs> uh, <laughs> not sometimes the food, but not always. Um, I know for me, for me, listen, it's, it's such a cliche. I I don't have any desire to travel really. I mean, I've spent, since I was a kid, I've spent my life, you know, you, you talk about the road. I've been on a, on the, a different kind of road, you know, Mm living, making movies in all different places in the world, town to town to town, basically living out of a suitcase. so that doesn't hold any more fascination for me. And a lot of times um, people ask this and say, well, you get to go and, you know, sightsee. And a- as you know, being a musician, you know, it's, it's, you don't really get a chance to do that much sightseeing. I mean, you know, you're, you're basically you're busy. You know, yeah, you're busy. Um, so everything about it to me at this point, is um not really appealing except for the show and to have to to be up there and to play for those people and share that experience with them that on that particular night that is completely unlike any other night and will have its own sort of um its own vibe for better or for worse we're experiencing something together that is not going to ever be the same I still really, really love that.
0: Michael, how about you?
3: Yeah, I think I think Kevin's right. I tend to be a little more of a sightseer. I, I like, one of the things that's great about in the band is you will go to places that in your normal life you would never choose to go to. You All of a sudden you're in this little town in West Virginia or something, and there's a little venue there, and you get a chance to, you know, go have breakfast in the little cafe and just get a sense of what the lives of the people who live there. I find that really fascinating. Um, but um, the sound check and the, the dinner is at 530. Um, and then afterwards, maybe having to get in a bus or get in a van and go somewhere else is it's rough, but it's um, yeah, I mean, I agree with Kevin, you know, if, if we're hitting on our eight cylinders um, and the audience is great, it's, it's a wonderful feeling to share with, with our, between us and our guys in our band.
0: I talked with one artist who actually, he travels every year, he's touring constantly, and uh, he said he keeps a journal now of where he likes to eat in each stop. And so he has, he has a whole uh, list of restaurants and places he likes to stay, he said, because I've well, stayed at them all at this point.
2: <laughs> our, our, our band has a way of, of remembering shows based on how the food <laughs> right. was. So like, you, you can go, well, yeah, it was June 2004 and we were in Minneapolis and they'll say, yeah, that was the sushi place, right? <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's crazy.
0: That's great. Well, listen, the album is a um, I love it. You know, I wish you the best with the tour and, and the album. And come see us again in Memphis. We'll we'll feed you down there, you know, we'll feed you some barbecue.
3: I love Memphis. Great town. <laughs> I really do. Okay, Amy, thank you. That was great.
1: Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah.
0: Thank thank you guys. Appreciate the time. Like I said, you know, lo- love your music and um, wish you the best with the album and, and hopefully everyone is healthy and happy So,
1: <laughs> The family that picks together sticks together That's a wrap for this edition of Insights Thanks so much to the Bacon Brothers for sharing their time with us this hour With Arado, Michael and Kevin brothers, songwriters, frontmen and multi-instrumentalists prove their staying power once again Pick up your copy or a copy for a friend over at BaconBros.com. From all of us at Diddy TV, thanks again for tuning in, and we hope to see you again real soon, right here on
4: Insights. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football